Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 14 through 34 this morning. And uh, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chairs in front of you, it's on page 1063. And I want to encourage all of you to either use one of our Bibles or if you brought your own Bible, uh, which we recommend, then uh, you can have that open too. But I need uh, need you to have your Bibles open the whole time this morning. Uh, It's going to be important for you to see what uh, I think God wants us to see. And I want you to see it on the pages of of Scripture. So uh, with Bibles open, uh, let's read this and um, we'll proceed. This is God's holy and true word from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue. And entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just want to confess that we are sinful and have no business coming before you except for the fact that you have set us free in Christ. You've redeemed us in Christ, given us faith. So that we might know that you have adopted us as your children. That you have declared us righteous. We praise your name. We worship your holy name this morning. Father we ask that you would send your spirit to fill our hearts as we look at Jesus today. We pray that you would help us be united around the vision. That you've given to the elders 
and the deacons of this church. And we pray that you would do mighty things among us, uh, things we wouldn't even be able to imagine, things that will continue to show how glorious and majestic and compassionate and kind and powerful and mighty and beautiful and strong our Lord Jesus is. Use this time now to equip us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Vision Sunday, here we are. Uh, This is Every year we do this, and sometimes we do a little more uh, kind of exciting things, whatever. Hopefully this year uh, the, the vision itself will be what gets us very, very excited about what Jesus is doing in our church, will do in our church. Some of you may recognize some of the things that we talk about this morning because uh, if you'll notice, the sermon is titled The, vision, the 2020 Vision Part 2. And that's because a lot of what I'm going to talk about this morning, I already talked about in November when we rolled out the 2020 vision, when we talked about uh, helping our church or working as a church to become much more missional. And so you may remember those discussions. But this morning, uh, what we're going to do is looking at this passage and others as well, we're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, and we're going to see some things that I think will unite us and embolden us and send us out to uh, keep fulfilling our mission of making disciples of all nations. And so I'm very excited as we we do this together. Um, I'm going to start by giving a description of a church uh, that I think all of us would love to be a part of. And then we're going to look at Jesus to see how he might grow us into that vision. Some of the things that I'm going to say are already happening here and some in large measure. So uh, don't assume that by saying imagine this, I'm saying it's not taking place. But let's just together see a full picture of what Jesus may do in and through us. And so um, let me again ask you to have your Bibles open. Okay, Um, I want you to be looking at the word as we do this, because it's just going to jump off the page. So let's do this. Um, But first, I want to imagine this church together. Imagine a church. Okay. And I want to, four things, four things, main things. Uh, Imagine a church that would be described by these four main things. Let me give you these things. Number one, imagine a church where people's lives are truly changing. Okay, now again, that's already happening here, but just for the full picture. Imagine a church where people's lives are truly changing. Men are growing in their Christ-likeness and their ability to be men. Women are growing in their Christ-likeness, their ability to be women, gospel-centered women. We have children growing in their gospel-centeredness, their Christ-likeness. Families growing in their ability to relate to each other, love each other, serve each other, serve the community. Imagine a church where people's lives are changing, where the gospel is growing them. Jesus is growing them through the gospel. Imagine lots and lots of testimonies of the ways that Jesus has changed people's lives, even recently. On an ongoing basis, imagine being part of a church where, where lives are changing regularly. People are constantly excited to come to worship because of what Christ has done in their life that week. 
I want to be part of a church like that. Uh, Imagine a church where people are becoming Christians. Often. Uh, imagine a church where we, where, where you where the people see on a regular basis the power of the gospel to bring people to their knees in worship and trust and faith in Christ the Savior. Imagine a church where people are becoming Christians and it's a, it's a regular thing. Some of you were here in July uh, when we baptized and inducted into membership a young woman named Emily as she came to faith in part through uh, one of our life groups. And it was this amazing thing. I was on vacation. It was, I, I, why did that have to happen when I was not here? Um, but I was so excited about it. I almost thought about flying home to be here for that. What a, what a beautiful and amazing picture. Now, now just multiply that. Uh, imagine a church where people are becoming Christians on a regular basis. That just, it just happens. It's just what happens. People are coming, they're professing faith. If they haven't been baptized, we're baptizing them. They're becoming members, they're joining the mission. Imagine that. Imagine being part of a church where seeing new Christians, new believers is a normal thing. I want to be part of a church like that. Imagine a church where people's needs are being met. Imagine a church where... The members know that if something goes wrong, there will immediately be several people around them to love them, care for them, help them through tragic situations. Imagine a church where nobody's slipping through the cracks. We're ensuring uh, that everyone, their basic needs are met, whether they be financial or emotional or social or you name it. People with needs are addressed They're surrounded by people who love them and want to lift them up. Imagine a church so proficient at meeting the needs of the members that it spills out into the community. Imagine a church that has become so adept at meeting needs that people in the community take notice, they look, they're thankful, they're grateful, they don't know what they would do if that church wasn't there. Imagine a church... That's so proficient at meeting needs that even people who don't believe what they say are thankful that they're there and would be upset if they found out that they were closing their doors. Imagine being part of a church where people's needs are being met so much so that it spills out into the community. Imagine a church where people go elsewhere to reproduce the great things that are happening there. Imagine a church that people leave all the time. But not because they are disappointed or sad or they weren't being fed, but because they're ready to go. They want to go. They've seen that there's a community over here that doesn't have a church where lives are changing, where the people are becoming Christians, where needs are being met. So they sign up. They say, I'll go. Who else is with me? I'll go. I want to go be part of a church plan or be part of the planning of a church that will do these same things. Imagine being so excited about your church that, that you are actually ready to go elsewhere so that other people can experience too. Not just in the area. Imagine a church where people are feeling it's welling up this desire to go to the nations. To look at some of these unreached people groups that we pray for every week and feel something in them say, I want to go. Wait, I want to go. I want want to go. 
Imagine a church where people are always leaving in order to go reproduce elsewhere what's happening at that church. I want to be part of that church. I think you do too. And so let's look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our, finisher of our faith. And let's see that that is where he's taking us and he's going to get us there. He's going to get us there. Ready? I want to now uh, look at the scripture that we talked about today, starting in verse 14, Mark 1, 14. And again, please be looking at your Bible. I really want you to see this. And we're going to talk about what Jesus did uh, en route to the cross. When we talk about Jesus, we very often talk about the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. We should. We should rarely talk about Jesus without mentioning the cross and resurrection. But we more frequently need to talk about Jesus' route to the cross, what he was doing. Because that will show us how to uh, grow into the description that we've just talked about as a church. So let's do this. And um, I want to start with verses 14 and 15. Again, we're going to be kind of flipping around here a little bit. So just hang with me. I'll tell you where we're supposed to be. It's not going to be up there. So you got to pay attention. Ha <laughs> gotcha. Okay, here we go. Ready? Eyes on Jesus. Verse 14. It says, Jesus begins his ministry. That's the heading there. And so we see him showing up here. And it says, now, after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus does something that we'll see him do all throughout on his route to the cross. And that is to proclaim the gospel of God and to call people to repentance. So first thing we see him doing is gospel proclamation. And what he's saying is basically this. Now, he may not have said it exactly like this, but in saying that he was proclaiming the gospel of God, here's what that is in its simplest form. The gospel is good news. It's not instructions. It's an announcement. It's good news. And it is this, that God is The creator of all things, he's good. He's a loving father who wants to forgive sins, but he's also a just judge who by very nature must punish sins, which leaves all of us desperate because every single one of us is a sinner. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve the wrath of God. But God, in his mercy, chose to send his one and only son, Jesus to live the perfect life that we were supposed to have lived and then die the horrific sinner's death that we all deserve to die, that therefore whoever believes in him then would have eternal life. And Jesus promises us lots of stuff, but primarily the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from the penalty of sin. By trusting in Jesus, we are set free from the penalty that we are supposed to pay. Also, though, that's not the extent of the story. He also promises us freedom from the power of sin. And he also promises us that one day we'll be delivered from even the presence of sin in the new heavens and new earth where nobody can sin against anybody and we live in perfect harmony with God and man. I cannot wait. And he says, basically, in telling us these things, the, the promises are all ours if we will repent of our sinfulness and believe in the gospel. And so he comes doing what we want to call gospel proclamation. And ultimately, what he's doing is he's addressing everybody's massive, desperate, critical need. 
And that's to be reconciled to God, which can only be done through faith. So Jesus comes on the scene and he is proclaiming the gospel. He is telling people that they can be forgiven of their sin and declared to be righteous by following and trusting in him. Gospel proclamation. But he continues. Turn the page if, if you're in our Bible. If you're not, if you're in yours, I don't know if you turn the page yet. But we're going to go on to verse 16 to 20. Uh, look at the heading is Jesus calls the first disciples. Pause it, as my kids say when I'm telling a story and they need some water. Pause it, Dad. Okay, we're going to pause it and we're going to fast forward a little bit. We'll come back to that. Okay, Uh, look at verse 21 through 28. The heading says Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. We read it. I'll paraphrase it. Jesus is teaching. It's a little more proclamation. And while he's teaching a man with an unclean spirit, a man oppressed, uh, possessed by a demon comes in. Jesus casts him out. And now this man's body that had been uh, dominated by this demon is free. Okay, Uh, moving on 29 through 34. Uh, It says what Jesus heals many. We read it. I'll paraphrase it. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's got a fever. Jesus heals her. Then he uh, heals a whole bunch of people with various diseases and casts out more demons. And so the healing And the casting out of demons, ultimately what he's doing is addressing people's physical needs. Let's call that gospel demonstration. The other thing that Jesus was doing on route to the cross was gospel demonstrating. Demonstration. He was demonstrating his power to do these things. He was demonstrating his power actually to do anything that he said. In large part, he would heal people because they could see that in order to prove to them that he could also meet their greatest need, which is forgiveness. This culminates beautifully in chapter 2. Look at the first part of chapter 2. What you have is uh, there is a a group of friends uh, and they want their their paralyzed friend to be healed. And so they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down in front of Jesus. And it says, Jesus, when he saw their faith, He said to him, he proclaimed, son, your sins are forgiven. And then the religious people of the day were kind of grumbling. And how can he say that? Who can forgive sins? And they're all grumpy and mad. And he knows this. And so he says, look, let's get real here. Which is harder to say? Which is more difficult to say? Your sins are forgiven, which you can't actually see. Or take up your mat and walk. Because you could see that, right? And he says, so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins. He says to the man, get up. And he does. And simultaneously, Jesus is proving that he's got the power not only to heal and and change people's lives and affect their physical needs, but also he can meet their greatest need, which is spiritual, which is a need for forgiveness and righteousness. And so you see, he is en route to the cross. And he is proclaiming and demonstrating, proclaiming and demonstrating, demonstrating to give a picture of what it will be like in the new heavens and new earth, but also to prove that he can do what he proclaims he can do in providing for their forgiveness. Uh, Look at, let's back up now, back to uh, chapter 1, verse 35. He's just finished healing people. What does he do heading above 35? Preaches in Galilee. Back to proclamation. Oh, then verse 40, Jesus cleanses a leper. Back to demonstration. You can't unsee this now. It's so amazing. When I I saw this, it just blew my mind. 
But ultimately, this is where he's going on route to the cross. Jesus is spending his time proclaiming good news. It's an announcement. It's not instructions of what to do. It's good news about what has been done. And he's demonstrating the truth of it by addressing people's physical needs. He's demonstrating his lordship. So he's proclaiming with his words and he's demonstrating with his deeds that he's the Lord. Isn't he amazing? That's not all. Um, back to 16. 16 through 20, he calls the first disciples. He goes up to ordinary men in an ordinary job with very little education at all and says to them, follow me. And I will make you something you're not. Fishers of men. Okay. What was it like following Jesus for them? Was following Jesus for them a life of I'm glad I'm forgiven. I got to be good. I'm glad I'm forgiven. I got to be good. Or was it an incredible life's work of mission? Look at this. I want to show you what life was like for the ones who were following Jesus. Walk with me all the way to chapter 3. Notice that chapter 2 ended in proclamation. And then chapter 3 begins in demonstration, healing a man with a withered hand. And then in 7 through 12, it says a great crowd followed Jesus. Jesus is, uh, humanly speaking, overwhelmed with the amount of people who are desperately in need spiritually and desperately in need physically. He says, guys, you better get a boat. Because we're going to get crushed. And he goes away with them. And then look at uh, uh, verse 13 and following. Life for the disciples. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. So that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. And have authority to cast out demons. Did you see that? Let's take it deeper. Flip to chapter 6. I love the sound of pages turning. Okay, chapter 6. Verse 12, it's on page 1070 if you're using our big blue Bibles. He's sending them out. What do they do? So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In other words, uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, their life became a life of doing what Jesus was doing. Let's take a look at that slide for the disciples. Uh, Oh, um, well, let's talk about this too. Here's the thing. I forgot about this verse and it's so good. Here's the thing. Jesus' life was proclamation and demonstration. That's why Luke 24, 19 is such a powerful verse. Because the disciples describe Jesus to himself. He does not correct them. And they call him a prophet mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. So you see that's the description of his life. Sorry, John. That's my fault, not yours, brother. appreciate it. Back to the disciples. Okay, here we are. Right back. That was a little sidebar and we're back. The disciples are doing the same thing. The disciples' lives are now a life of uh, proclaiming 
that Jesus is Lord with their words and demonstrating that Jesus is Lord with their deeds. They are spending their time seeking to address people's great spiritual need by pointing them to Christ and to address people's great physical needs by pointing them to Christ and serving them in whatever capacity that they could. Now, they were able to do miracles, but the principle stands That when people proclaim that Jesus is Lord through the gospel and then demonstrate the truth of it with their deeds in meeting people's needs, serving people, Jesus is glorified and things happen. What happens? Well, a couple things. Uh, We we should notice that not only was Jesus uh, living this life of proclamation and demonstration, proclamation and demonstration, but in calling these guys to himself, he was also changing their lives. He was transforming them. So we should also say that Jesus was doing what we might want to call gospel transformation. He was transforming these ordinary people into uh, still ordinary people, but able to do extraordinary things by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the gospel that he came to teach and be. So he was transforming them. Their lives were changing. And we know uh, from Paul's letters, surely that a lot of that change uh, was moral. There was a growth in their holiness, in their, uh, in their Christ-likeness, in a moral perspective. But the major shift that we see in the lives of these guys, these disciples and the people uh, following Christ was, was missional. They were transformed from people who were not addressing the spiritual needs of the people around them and probably didn't know how to Uh, And and people who were not addressing the physical needs and maybe didn't even care about the physical needs of the people around them, transforming them into people like him. Christian is the most amazing title we could ever have because it meant little Christ. He was transforming them into being like him. People who would live their lives proclaiming that he's Lord with their deeds, demonstrating that he's Lord with, I'm sorry, proclaiming with their words and demonstrating with their deeds. Okay, and therefore, there's one last thing that he was doing. He was making, in making disciples, he was making more of himself. Except for, obviously, the ability to actually pay for sin. And none of us are divine, but he was multiplying himself. Gospel multiplication. There was Jesus, who was living a life on route to the cross, Proclaiming and demonstrating and then there were 12 and then there were 120 and then there were thousands and now there's billions. And there will be more. Um, So it's this picture of gospel transformation. This is when you look at Jesus as we're just looking at Jesus. What is he doing? He's, He's he's involved in transformation, proclamation, demonstration. And that is the result of that is multiplication. And what's so powerful about this and seeing him like this is all of it en route to the cross, to the two most important and critical proclamations and demonstration. Number one, the cross, where on the cross, Jesus proclaimed things like father, forgive them. They know not what they do, and it is finished. And he demonstrated with the blood dripping from his brow and from his hands and from his feet and from his back. His sacrifice was the ultimate demonstration that the words he was saying are true. I will die a horrible death for you so that you don't have to. 
You can't see that, but you can see this. And he demonstrated the love for us greater. Jesus is showing us is, is what he said, that greater love hath no man than this, that he give his life for his friends. The amazing, the amazing. It's amazing. So what he's doing is he's proclaiming and demonstrating all the way to the cross, transforming people, multiplying the number of people living that life. And on route, their lives are changing. They're, they can't leave them. They can't go away. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They can't get enough of them. He's, he keeps changing their lives and keeps leading them. And they keep doing these things. And then he dies on the cross. The ultimate picture right before, three days later, the resurrection, the proof. The resurrection was the proof that what he had done truly is allowing for what he said he would do, and that's the forgiveness of our sins. And so he gloriously rises from the dead, but he doesn't just say, hey, look what I did, guys. He, he's, he's telling us, he gives us a mission. We call it the Great Commission. It's written on the back wall. If you're able, please turn around and look at those words on the wall, not the screen that helps us know what we're, where we're going next. Um, look, at, look at that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The reason that we had that written there by our seniors of a few years ago, thank you, seniors, um, is so that we see it. So that every time we leave this building, we know we're sent out to live this life. A life of proclaiming, of of demonstrating, of being transformed and seeing multiplication happen. That's eyes on Jesus. And it's our mission. Our mission is the Great Commission. And so, now, next. Um, Oh, we're good on time. Okay. Ready? I know this is long. Stay with me. Because now we're going to see. Now, seeing Jesus is going to help us see where we're going. And how we grow into, through his work of the Holy Spirit, his powerful gospel, continued gospel ministry to us, how we'll grow into that description we talked about in the beginning. These are the things. We are going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we're going to do the things that Jesus was doing. We're going to labor in these four things and and continue to uh, help all of our ministries make sure these things are taking place. So, number one, gospel transformation. We want everybody that's a part of this church to know that we are all called to be transformed. Okay, to to be knowing our Bibles, to be knowing theology, to be growing in our our ability to fight against our sin and become more Christ-like people. So we're going to focus on things in the worship service, through our life groups, things that are going to enable us. We're going to create situations and opportunities for us to be continually growing, and we're going to feel that transformation as we move forward. And it's going to cause us to worship, and it's also going to cause the other transformation, which is the missional side of things. And so then we're going to also be focusing on gospel proclamation, and we're going to make sure that everybody knows how to share the gospel. Some of you are like, oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, hold on. No, trust me. He taught them. He teaches us. Okay? We're going to learn together. Some of us share the gospel all the time. Now you're a teacher. Okay? Don't do evangelism alone anymore. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. You're going to watch people. I will take you. 
People will take it. We will see how to do evangelism in our workplaces, in our schools, in normal, contextualized ways where people aren't freaked out by what we're saying, but, but they're engaged. Okay, we're going to learn how to do this over the next seven years. Keep in mind, this is a seven-year vision. We're going to grow into this. Some of you just went, oh, got some time. Okay, but here's the thing. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Uh, also, demonstration. We're going to be focusing on what it means to live a life of, of demonstrating the gospel through our deeds. The deacons, we're going to work with the deacons. They're really going to help us grow into this. Uh, we're going to all be learning how we're uniquely wired and gifted to meet some sort of specific need in our church body or in our city or maybe around the world. Every single one of us that knows Christ has some sort of ability to meet a need out there. And so part of our ministry will not only be to equip you to know how you're gifted, but then find the needs in or out and connect the dots. And he's going to do it again. He's going to continue to demonstrate that he is Lord through our deeds. And we're going to focus on multiplication, which ultimately the short version of that is church planting. We want to plant churches, lots of them. And uh, ultimately, we want to plant churches that will do the four things that we're going to be focusing on, that they will see lives changing through transformation, that they will be doing proclamation and demonstration and living that life of mission and on then multiplying themselves. Okay, and it is through these focuses foci what is the proper doesn't matter it's it's through looking at these things over and over and over every day living the cross-shaped life trusting him being transformed seeking to learn how to proclaim and then doing it seeking how to demonstrate and then doing it and watching the multiplication happen it's through that that we grow into over the next seven years this description that upc is that church that people's lives are truly changing people are becoming christians all the time. People's needs are being met and people are always leaving to go elsewhere in order to start new churches that will do the same things. Um, how's this going to happen? The Holy Spirit, His work, the power of the gospel. And we have our part too. Let me give you the staff, pastoral staff part. There's a whole lot more going on. We have a, we have a, we do have a a bigger staff than just this, but I want you to know, uh, from the pastoral perspective, here's how we're, uh, gonna tackle this. I'm gonna, my, one of my main jobs is to ensure that our worship service is continually being refined and reformed into a way that we know it's transformative, uh, lifting Christ high every week so we can see who has paid our debt and empowers us to be like Him, uh, and then vision. It'll be my job to continue to cast this vision and keep us accountable on it. Uh, many a church have cast a vision people want and then sort of fallen away. Um, I, but it's going to be my job to stay laser focused on this and keep us moving in that direction. Uh, Mike, you know that his job is the pastor of discipleship, but we should also kind of understand the, the concept of community in that. And Mike's one of his main jobs is our life groups. Excuse me. Our life groups. Okay. Listen. You need to be in a life group. So much exciting things are happening in life groups. And I know that some people are sort of concerned, like this is new stuff. I don't know about this. Jesus is with us always till the very end of the age. 
He's going to do this. He's going to strengthen us for this. After this service, if you're not in a life group, please come up here or Mike might be standing right down there. Mike and Megan should be here able to help you get connected to a life group near you. Uh, we're, one, we're redesigning our life groups a little bit geographically to be able to do mission more strategically and reach more people uh, in word and deed. I'm not going to say much more about life groups. Mike will get a chance to do that in a couple weeks. But as our life groups grow in their ability to be transformed and to be serving each other, meeting each other's needs and, and learning how to do evangelism together, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to change us. It's going to change our church. And so you want to be in a life group. There's a bunch of you that aren't. You were, now you're not. Let's do it. Let's get back in. You can start today. Okay. Um, and so as we do these things, the community here is going to grow. Because this is going to be hard, by the way. Uh, doing these things is going to be challenging and it's gonna, they're going to be hard. But it is when we go through hard things together that the community goes through the roof. That's why men in the military will take a bullet for each other. That's why even in gangs you see loyalty. Unbelievable. And it's because they've gone through things difficult. And so Jesus, nobody calls something, you know, nobody calls people to more difficult things than Jesus. So it's going to, the community is going to go through the roof here. We're going to love each other like crazy. People are going to be like, those people are weird. They love each other so much. Okay, it's going to happen. Trust me. So Michael Hart, I keep saying UPC is getting a new heart. I don't think he likes it, so I'll stop. But his, his name is Michael Hart. And uh, we've hired him. He's coming. He's married to Miriam. Uh, they've got two little sweet kids. Michael was a missionary in Brazil, speaks Portuguese uh, to his children. I've asked him to speak in English to us. Um, he, uh, he's, he's done a lot of evangelism. He's also uh, was involved in starting a group of pastors, interdenominational group, to meet needs in their city where he's from. He's wired for this job. We've immediately become good friends. Uh, you're going to love him. And he'll be here in October. You can pray for their safe passage all the way from Cleveland, Mississippi. And um, when they get here, he's going to hit the ground running and he's going to work on evangelism and outreach, which are the churchy words for proclamation and demonstration. Okay, he's really going to uh, train leaders primarily, the elders, the deacons, the life group leaders, and that will filter down to where we're all receiving training and care, and we know how to meet needs. We know how to share the gospel. He's going to train us. Remember, seven-year vision. It's going to take some time. We're going to have leadership. P4, there's a man we just hired named P4. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, stands for, that stands for pastor number four. When the money's here, so will he be. Uh, and what he's going to do is cover church planting and missions. Uh, he may be a church planter, but we also are considering hiring a man that will just oversee the raising up of core groups. And then we'll find planters to take those core groups and go and reproduce in other places what uh, we're doing here. And then also he'll be over missions so that we're planting locally and globally in order to see the gospel advance to all nations. And so that's kind of the initial uh, staff structure here. But um, I want you to be thinking primarily less about the staff. That's going to shift and change as things happen in the church. You know, different people have to take on different roles, but that's the initial outset plan for staffing. Now, uh, next, if, if there was one phrase that I would love for people to, to, to say about the church is that they're all about Jesus. Those people are all about Jesus. Okay, um, I want to show you something. The vision that we've seen in Scripture for how to do ministry, what to focus on, is, is also the gospel. This is gospel-driven from start to finish. For example... 
Uh, why would Jesus do proclamation? So that people could hear the good news and believe and be set free from the penalty of sin. The Bible word for that is justification. Why would he do, uh, why would he focus on transformation? Uh, why would he, why would he continue to seek to change their lives? Because the, the, they, they also need to know that in Christ they're set free from the power of sin. That's discipleship. That's, in its essence, is us growing in what the Bible also calls sanctification. Why did he do demonstration? Why was he always going after people's physical needs? Well, it's to show them that one day we'll be free from the presence of sin. Not only to demonstrate the truth of his words, but also to give a picture of the new heavens and new earth. When we receive our glorified bodies, we will have zero needs forever. It's going to be a good day. Um, and then also, uh, when you think about, so, so we focus on demonstration to show glorification. Last, when you think about multiplication, uh, the doctrine of adoption is right there front and center. Uh, that ultimately, every time somebody puts their faith in Christ, they have the freedom to become a child of God. You know, world missions is really uh, God's children running around the world telling the rest of God's children that they're God's children and their father loves them. So much that he would send his one and only son to die for them. And to transform them and to send them on mission. Okay, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are you with me? Do we need to do a stand-up jumping jack real quick thing? Okay, everybody just clap your hands one time, one time. Oh, we're awake. Okay, here we go. Stay with me, stay with me. Let me tell you where you fit in. Let me tell you um, uh, the, the, in answer to the question what it's going to take on your part. It's not going to be easy. I'm asking you to sign up for difficulty. Okay. Not me. I'm not asking you. Uh, Jesus is calling you through the elders and deacons of the church. Um, first and foremost, if we're not bathing this whole plan in prayer, it's just not going to happen. Prayer is proof that we're relying on God, not ourselves. So the very first thing in, in terms of participating in transformation daily, uh, we want everybody praying for the church. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get some bookmarks and some magnets and some other things that are reminding us to be praying for our church every day as individuals, as families, as couples, as friends, as life groups, praying. Also, uh, we're going to be rolling out things that will help you uh, develop your devotional life, either individual or family. We want that to be understood to be a major piece of transformation. Transformation comes from being with Jesus every day. Okay? And so one of the ways you do that is by having a strong prayer and devotional life. Again, seven-year plan. Some of you are like, I tried this whole devotional thing. It's never worked. I'm I'm telling you, if somebody teaches you, you will grow into it. Those of us who have a strong devotional life, you know we didn't just wake up one day and be like, hey, let's be devotional. No, somebody taught us. We got there. I will come to your house. I like Colombian roast coffee. Okay. Weekly, being at worship is huge. Okay. Worship is one of the primary vehicles for uh, growth, spiritual formation, gospel transformation, because it is in the worship service that we see Christ together. He's lifted up. We see the gospel. We, we, we see how we can apply it. Uh, it's massive to do it in a group, a big group like this. It's huge. So we want you to be here every week. I know you've got to go on vacation sometimes. So do I. But uh, when you're here, be here. Got it? Um, life groups. I just gave a pitch. I'll do it again. No, just kidding. Um, please. 
Uh, sign up for Life Group. It's really important. This is going to be one of the other primary vehicles for discipleship. We're really going to be resourcing and training our Life Group leaders so that our groups are receiving really good teaching and care. And so uh, the, there's growth. There's spiritual transformation and formation. It's also the primary vehicle of care. We're a church large enough to where you really need to be in a life group so that you have that connectedness whenever something bad happens. You've got those people there immediately. Oh, how many stories do we have of life groups who have come to uh, show Christ to people in times of tragedy. So once again, after the service ends, please, if you're not in a life group, come talk to Mike and Megan. Okay, uh, and give. This is huge. Um, I just want to say two things. One, as a church, we really need to work on consistency in giving. Case in point, last week, Labor Day weekend, some of you away on vacation, awesome. Um, however, uh, offering real low because some of you only give when you're here and then sometimes you forget to make it up. One of the best things that could happen for us is if we get to a consistency so that whether you're here or not, we're still receiving your tithes and offerings because the reality is all this stuff costs money. We got we to gotta put our money where our mouth is on this one. So I really want to challenge you to be finding ways to be consistent in giving. And then some of you who are not in the habit of giving, I just want to tell you, uh, it is an amazing grace for you to be giving, a grace by, of God to you. Uh, God shows you how generous he is as you seek to be generous with your resources. I'm telling you, okay? Uh, let's be big givers. We're going to need that. Okay, um, next, uh, proclamation and demonstration. We want to think annually in this regard. Some of you are sharing the gospel all the time. Don't stop. Just start teaching. Start showing people how to do that. Some of you serve every week at manna or other things. Don't stop. Bring people with you. We need the ones that are doing it have been trained. You need to, we need to be training others, take it upon ourselves to do that. But also there's going to be lots of training through life groups and stuff like that. So uh, that should be said. But the main thing we all want to do is first learn a simple gospel presentation at the, at the very least. We need to be a church filled with people who can defend what they believe, who can say the basic tenets of the gospel. And then I want to challenge you to start sharing it multiple times. And we'll talk more about that in, in time to come. Also, learning to serve people in need. Let us help you working with your life group leader, working with Michael Hart and the team that he puts together, working with the deacons. Let us help you figure out how you're wired. And then you'll serve according to that, and it'll be awesome. But think about this. Let's do a little math, which you know I'm horrible at, but I did this before on a calculator, so I'm sure of it. Um, if 500 of us were to share the gospel with six people in a calendar year, 3,000 people would hear the gospel in this city or other cities we may go to do so. 3,000. If 500 of us served, sacrificially served somebody in need six times, 3,000 people would have their needs met. 3,000. That's like mind-blowing, okay, that I got the math right, Okay. But think about this, okay? So that's going to happen. And then triennially, uh, participate in multiplication. It is triennial, not triannual. I looked it up. Um, triennially means every three years we want you to be praying about considering being part of one of our church plants. We're going to start planting churches, identifying areas locally and abroad where we can plant churches. And we would love for you to be praying even now about maybe I am called to go uh, and to another neighborhood or to another nation. You. Can you imagine? I can. You know what I see over here? I don't see youth. I see missionaries just waiting to grow up and go to their neighbors and to the nations. Okay? All right. 
So that's what we want from you. And we're going to talk more about this. We're going to be in a vision series uh, for a few weeks now. Next week, Mike is going to talk about uh, looking back and looking at the faithfulness of God. God has always worked in, in amazing ways through this church. And so we're going to take a look at that as well as the importance of looking back. And then when uh, the following week, we're going to start, we're going to talk about transformation. And the week after that, proclamation. And the week after that, demonstration. And the week after that, Ah, you weren't listening. Okay, awesome. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on these things for enough weeks where we get it started flowing through the bloodstream. And we're going to grow into this vision through focusing on transformation. People's lives are going to be changing more and more through focusing on proclamation, prepping people for proclamation. We're going to see lots of people becoming Christians. Through focusing on gospel demonstration, we're going to see lots of people having their needs met. And through focusing on multiplication, uh, people are going to be leaving our church all the time in order to go and start similar churches elsewhere. So that's it. And I am so excited. I hope you are too. And if we will just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he's going to do amazing things. He said he would. He already has. He's not going to stop until all nations have heard. The Great Commission is complete. The uh, the amazing throng of a multitude that no one can count is standing around the throne, like it says in Revelation 7, 9, praising him, saying salvation belongs to our God and the Lamb. And we are all standing there together saying, remember, Remember when we were transformed. Remember when we grew into that vision. Remember when we did our part. We made our contribution to the completion of the Great Commission. And then we're going to say, in the amazing, in the amazing, in the amazing. Let's pray. Father, would you uh, address our fears with the Holy Spirit's work? And would you give us a desire at the very least to grow into this to be a church mighty in word and deed to be a church um, constantly seeing the gospel proclaimed and people becoming christians constantly seeing the gospel demonstrated and people's needs and lives being changed would you transform us would you multiply us all for your glory for our good, and that the gospel would advance to the nations. We pray all this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.